Okay, so uh, growing up in a nominally, nominally Christian home, I remember all the different kinds of um, gospel tracks that the Christian bookstore would sell. And I, I was really into them. I, I used to collect them. I used to have a bag of gospel tracks. And I remember being really into passing out tracks that were creative and would be sure to grab the attention of the stranger in hopes that it would draw them into reading the message that was on the track. Uh, they had the fake $100 bill tracks. You, you guys remember the fake $100 bill tracks? <laughs> uh, they had the law and the gospel written on it. Some were quite silly. If You, you would see all these different silly kind of uh, tracks. But nonetheless, the message that were on them were, were, were good. Uh, but there was one track that I remember that addressed something that most tracks didn't address. Now, I don't agree on how it was addressed theologically on that specific track, but I understand the attempt, and I understand the problem that they were trying to address. Now, this particular track was a track that was aimed at professing Christians who had made a profession of faith, but were not showing evidence of this profession in their lives. So the problem with this track theologically is that it distinguished the possession of true faith from bearing true fruit as two separate parts of salvation. The track basically made two separate categories. It made categories like saved, and then it made a separate separate category like disciple, as if it were possible to be saved without necessarily being a disciple. Often we think of popular terms like backslidden or carnal Christian, when we think of professing believers who are not bearing fruit. But the Bible doesn't make that kind of separation. What we do see in the scriptures is a gospel that not only converts, but also transforms. In other words, when we evangelize, we proclaim the good news, and if the Lord wills, he brings to life the whole of the person, not just some aspects of the person, from spiritual deadness to spiritual life. Now, this doesn't mean that once a person is born again, they immediately reach ultimate sanctification. It doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that over time, they do show evidence of true saving faith. It's one and the same. The person is saved, and they will eventually show evidence that they're saved, right? Uh, It may be small at first, like a desire for God's word or a desire to be around believers, a hatred towards indwelling sin. And often, it isn't as evident in the beginning, but time would reveal the evidence of their faith. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves as people who have been commissioned to proclaim the truth is, why is it often the case that we see so little evidence of deep change in the lives of many of those who profess faith in Christ, especially the people that we ourselves are trying to reach, or let's just say we evangelized and, and, and reached out to certain people and they make a profession? Why is it that it's, it's so common to see people, quote-unquote, come to faith, and yet they bear no fruit? Um, and, and you, as time goes on, they don't... Uh, they don't show any evidence of faith or of true saving faith. <clears throat> Is it possible that we often create converts but not true disciples? Is there even such thing as a convert who isn't a disciple? The answer is no, of course. One of the main reasons why Christians 
assume that salvation can be lost is because they assume that it's possible for someone to enter into the covenant of Christ's people and then fall away if they lose faith or bear no fruit. But we know from Scripture that the very nature of Christ's covenant is one that requires new birth. And a good understanding of this is seen in Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. Can someone read that? I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. Uncleannesses? Uh, yeah, un- uncleannesses. Okay. Yeah. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Yeah, so that's a description of a Christian, a person who has entered the new covenant in Christ. And we see that the nature of this new covenant in which God has established with his people is this new birth, right? This transformation of the heart. God is promising that his people will be made clean from their sins, right? You see that in verse 25. And that he will give them a new heart and a new spirit and remove the old heart of stone. And the spirit will cause them to walk in the statutes of God. The problem, right? The problem is that often we, we can't discern whether this kind of change has occurred in someone's life, at least immediately, right? So when we evangelize and we share the good news, you know, often we get excited and we come back to the people of God and we say, hey, you know, three, four people got saved when I, evangelized, when I, when I evangelized. And so there's this sort of quick, there's this assumption to uh, assume that the person is saved. You know, it's a guarantee because, it, you know, we saw them make a profession of faith. But again, uh, we often can't discern whether this kind of change has occurred in someone's life at least immediately. Nor am I advocating that we go on on a witch hunt to find out who's saved and who's not uh, in a, sort of an obsessive, non-trusting in the power of God kind of way. Uh, however, it is common for many professing believers to adapt external patterns that they may see other Christians do, right? You, you know, you like the people of God. Sometimes there's some cool people in, in church, and you're attracted to their behavior, you're attracted, you're attracted to what they do and how they speak and what, you know, how they are. And so you join the church and, you know, you, you identify yourselves in many, in, in yourself in many ways with Christians, but it is possible to simply just adapt to some of the patterns that you see um, Christians uh, act in. Uh, It's quite easy to do what Christians do, say what Christians say without experiencing true change. And so, uh, today, many churches operate on this principle of presumptive regeneration, right? Which is a term used by the Puritans often uh, who face this kind of dilemma. Many presumed that the children of Christian parents were born again as long as they conformed outwardly and had some head knowledge of Scripture. Some were baptized at a certain age, when the kid was old enough to say a testimony filled with the right words and the right ideas and tag them to the right scripture verses, but no real regeneration. So question, Uh, and this is a question that 
I think you, you can identify with. Haven't you noticed that the majority of testimonies from people have been something like this? I received Jesus as my Savior when I was 19, and I prayed with my Sunday school teacher, but I made him my Lord when I really started living like a Christian at the age of 24 in my second year of grad school. So it's a very common testimony of people who say that they responded to the call, but then later on became serious about their faith. That's very common. That, you know, I, I, when I think about my testimony, the story is very similar. Like I thought I was saved and then I found out that I wasn't and I became saved at some older uh, period later on. Uh, it's a very common testimony. Or another one that they, again, they thought they were saved at the age of 13, but then they found out that they weren't saved until the age of 23. It's sort of a two-stage testimony. And this type of thing is usually a result of complacency in both how we evangelize and also the confusion of how to evaluate someone's profession of faith. And this always leads to professing Christians who are really just self-deceived or more importantly, to God being dishonored by this, this kind of stuff. <clears throat> so this is a class on evangelism. So the question is, what can we do, right? Us as Christians, what can we do in our evangelism to avoid misleading people, resulting in merely a profession of faith and, and not a possession of faith? What can we do to you know, avoid uh, misleading people when we evangelize? And the answer to that is that we must understand the biblical view of conversion, which is a, a conversion of the whole person in all of his or her faculties, right? This is not the conversion of their emotions. This is not only the conversion of their mind, right? The way that they think, you know, you change their mind about something. This is not a conversion of, their, of merely just their obedience, right? It's not changing people so that they do good things and that's the end of the story. It's the conversion of the whole person, the whole being. In other words, there is no such thing as a Christian who is only a Christian in their mind. And there's no such thing as a Christian who is only a Christian in their heart. And there's no such thing as a person who is only uh, a Christian in their allegiance and their obedience. Uh, <clears throat> One who is truly born again is one in whom all his faculties have been made alive by the Spirit of God. And so I want to talk, I want to talk about that today, uh, on how the gospel should speak to the mind, the heart, or, or the emotion, and also to the will of the person. And you'll see those three points on your handout, uh, divided in those three points. So let's, let's look at the first point, right? The gospel to the mind. Now, you notice under the heading of the first point, I put in parentheses like a subheading, right? The gospel to the mind, it's not intellectualism, but truth to inform and humble the mind, right? One of the biggest temptations in witnessing to an unbeliever is this temptation to win them over by means that are not prescribed in the Bible, right? We... We think of all creative ways to uh, evangelize and help people, but they're not means that were prescribed in Scripture. Uh, this may be especially true when you're trying to win, let's say, a close relative, someone who you deeply 
um, love or have relational ties with. The temptation is often to win them by attractive means without being too confrontational. Now, I do think that it is always a good thing to develop good relationships with people, but it would be wrong to assume that the power of God unto salvation is contentless, right? The way that we evangelize, uh, it's wrong to assume that, that your method will win them to Christ if your method doesn't have content in it, right? It's information that has to be communicated to that person and that we have to remember that. We'll see, we'll look at some scriptures that talk about that. Uh, Scripture teaches that the gospel is a message that is filled with content that is received through the mind, right? Let's look at a verse, Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 15. Can someone read that? Okay, this is, this is a good example of, of content and the, the emphasis of content when it comes to uh, preaching the good news, preaching the gospel. Notice the language that Paul uses, right? I'm just going to pull out some words uh, from the first verse. You see the word preached, right? You see you received. You see in which you stand. You also see by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to what? The word I preached. Right? This is a language of communication and content in which the recipient is being saved by this content in which they stand on. Uh, In other words, evangelism cannot be anything less than a faithful proclamation of the content of the gospel, which, as we read, if you continue to read in this passage, is the life It's the death and the resurrection of Christ. And, of course, the application of that to those who repent and trust and believe. So we preach Christ's life, death, resurrection, his ascension, his return, uh, how that applies to that person's life, what they are called to do, right, to respond to that in repentance, in obedience, in trust, in faith. Now, we live in a time where what is most valued is Things like authenticity, spontaneity, joy, and openness in relationships. And I think this is where many Christians fall when it comes to evangelism. Often the temptation is to allow those values, those worldly values, that are set by our society to distract us from speaking faithfully about the content of the gospel. We can often enthrone, right, vivid, firsthand emotional experiences as the criteria and the content of our faith. And that's backwards. That's, that's not the power of salvation. Power of salvation, again, is what you see in this verse. The content of the gospel communicated to that person um, and, and uh, them trusting in it. So when you place at the forefront uh, firsthand emotional experiences as, as sort of your attempt to win their soul, you end up producing those kind of false converts that we spoke about. 
This is what happens when personal testimonies and stories about your experiences, as valuable as they may be, end up trumping and overriding a faithful and explicit presentation of biblical content of the gospel. So, in this case, the person that we're evangelizing never really converts because we did not make truth the criterion of experience. There was no submission in his or her rebellious mind to the authority of Scripture. So, we preach to the mind of the person because the power of God is in the content of the gospel. Not only because the not only because that's the way that God decided to do it, but it's because the content is absolute truth, right? We are preaching to them so that they would leave falsehood and come to the knowledge of truth that comes from God. Therefore, the intent of the gospel, when we preach it, is to bind the mind of the unbeliever to the authority of Scripture and to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And these two things are not separate. And we know this because one of the signs of saving faith is also a willingness to keep his word, to keep Christ's teaching. Uh, you see that in John, uh, 1 John 2, 3, 3 to 5. It says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. And so our goal when preaching the gospel is to bind their minds to the word of God, the authority of God, um, which, which is his word. Preaching the gospel to the mind is the means in which God transforms the unbeliever's rebellious thoughts to uh, thoughts that are now captive or held captive to the obedience of Christ. Now we know from Romans 1.18 that mankind naturally suppresses the truth of God and often as faithful of a proclamation of the gospel that you may give and present to that person, the person may still reject it. It's possible. It's actually very likely. However, we have to stick to it, right? This is the means that God has chosen. Other means, as effective as you may think they are, are not the means that God has chosen. And so we must believe what it says in 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In a time where uh, if, you, if you attend a business presentation, you know, you got all sorts of methods that the speaker uses to convince people to either purchase a product or encourage the business people to consider a certain method of selling something in a business. You know, we use all kinds of tactics and ways to convince people. And to the average person, someone who's not born again, they'll look at us and say, wow, preaching is your method, huh? Right? And, you know, as in comparison to all the ways that people communicate stuff to other people, it seems like preaching is foolishness. And in the Bible, we see that they would even consider the message itself, right? The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And that's where the temptation comes in. Because when you're dealing with someone that you care about, you, you want to win them so bad that you would, like, perform a pantomime play for them if you had to, so that they would come to Christ. Uh, but you don't put your trust in that 
which God has uh, called us to do, which is preaching the gospel. Explicit presentation, um, not being ashamed of it, just laying it out for them. Uh, and, and as foolish as it may seem while you're doing it, right, you, you, you look like a religious nut when you're doing it, that's God's way of doing things. He, he says, this is the way that uh, I get my glory, the foolishness of the preaching of the gospel, and you'll see that people come to, come to transformation. Sure, that's a that's a good question. Um, so, so the gospel, at least the the, the message of the gospel, can be uh, proclaimed in a very broad way, right? You can you can preach the gospel by starting with the garden, and talking about Adam and Eve and and everything that went on in the garden. You can talk about the whole situation with Moses through Judges. You can go all the way through the whole Bible. And in, in a sense, you're preaching the gospel to them. So you can go very broadly, or you can pull the principles, the main key principles of the gospel, which is that uh, you have the fall, well, you creation, you have fall, we have redemption, and then you have consummation or restoration. Those are four good points that you want to at least communicate to the person so that they understand their place in God's story. Um, so when you're preaching the gospel, my suggestion is that you start with uh, creation. Uh, you talk about the fall and all the, all the aspects of the fall. Man fell. Uh, sin has been imputed to them through the first human, uh, Adam. Christ, right? That's the redemption aspect. And then you have what's to come, right? The, the eschaton, the coming of Christ and the, the making all things new uh, in him. And, of course, the bad news, which is that if you're not part of that... <laughs> If, you, if you're not in Christ, you are part of the other part where uh, Jesus is going to destroy everything else. Um, and you're going to be part of that um, if you're not in Christ. And so you have, again, four points, creation, fall, redemption, and consummation or, or restoration. That's, those are key elements to, to the gospel. Now, I don't expect that in every gospel presentation or or evangelistic effort that you're going to be able to cover all that. Sometimes you get caught up in one aspect or, or the other. But that is the full counsel of the gospel. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's look at the second point. Second point is the gospel to the heart or to the emotions. And notice the sub uh, label there under the uh, point I put, not emotionalism, but love and touching the heart. Okay? Now, when it comes to matters of emotion and heart, we often push away from it, especially us as, as Reformed people. And the reason why we push away from heart and emotions is because we, as American evangelicals, have seen a lot of abuse in ministries that are emotion-driven and lacking biblical truth and biblical content. And as a result, we may have pushed too far to the other extreme. What do I mean? What I mean is that God is not only concerned about obedience, but rather, God is concerned about obedience and that you love to obey. You see? Right? He's not only concerned about obedience, but that you love to obey. 
He desires not only your hands, but he desires your heart as well. And this is what it means to not only profess faith, but to actually possess faith, right? So your heart plays a role in some sense. We're going to read some passages in scripture that that speak on that. Uh, Hosea 6.6, can someone read that? For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, and in the knowledge of God rather than God. Very good. Can someone take Matthew 12.33? To love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all Yeah. So, what we read here, this is the essence of true Christian worship. That we not only offer our obedience, but that we ascribe worth to God according to his worthiness. We ascribe in both spirit and in truth, as Christ says in John 4.24, spirit and truth. So what does this have to do with evangelism? Well, in evangelism... We're not called to win the person through mere rationality or like a mental checkmate, like a chess game. We're not to win them only through intellectual debates and providing evidence for every objection that they may pose. And although there are times when we're called to defend the faith through apologetics, we must never confuse apologetics with evangelism. We don't win the person by being smarter than them. No one becomes a Christian by getting an answer to every question that they may have. And people are not just brains on a stick. The gospel must penetrate the heart. Now, I'm going to give some examples, right? I'm going to tell you what both extremes look like. Right? You can speak to the heart and not the mind. That's, that's an extreme. And, you know, all you get is an emotional reaction. I'm going to give you an example of only emotional reactions, right? Let's say, let's say her name is Jill, right? And she attends a church gathering. And Jill is captivated by a purely emotional presentation in church, right? And this is her response. She says, how did God know how much I wanted to be loved? He seems to be speaking right to me. Everything that I've ever wanted, the preacher says Jesus will give me. And the music, the music just did something to me, especially while the preacher called us to the front. I didn't want to disappoint the speaker, so I raised my hand and came to the front. I was so stirred up that I couldn't think straight. What an experience. Thank you, God. Now, was, was Jill converted during that experience? No comment, but I think you know. That's one extreme, right? Just... just focusing on the emotion of the person. Here's the, other here's the other extreme of no emotion at all, no heartfelt, nothing. This is that extreme, and I'm going to give you an example. Okay, this is the no emotion at all is the extreme that assumes that the heart plays no significance whatsoever, no role. An example of this is when the person evangelizing says, this is the truth, Take it or leave it. That's it. End of the day. Goes home, takes, you know, that's it. No emotion. This kind of proclamation is a proclamation with a delivery 
that is inconsistent with the message being proclaimed, right? This is a cold-hearted, purely impersonal, duty-oriented way of proclaiming truth that may actually reveal unbelief from the person who's proclaiming it. Uh, there's a story about a very conservative church that was looking for a pastor for their congregation. And uh, this church contacted their association to see if they would send them a preacher because they didn't have a preacher or a pastor. But this church, when they contacted their association, they asked specifically for a hellfire and damnation preacher. So the association goes on and they send that church a hellfire and damnation preacher. And he, he was there, he preached, and he lasted for about a week. So the church requests for another hell, fire, and damnation preacher. So the association, they send him another hell, fire, and damnation preacher. He lasted for about three weeks. And so they try again, and they request another hell, fire, and damnation preacher. And this one, the third one, he actually lasts for about 30 years, faithfully preaching. And so after many years, one of the leaders of the association, he goes to the church, he goes back to this church, and he says to one of the old-timers that were there, why did you end up with a third preacher, right? All the ones that we sent you preached about hell. Why did you keep the third one? And the old-timer said to him, well, yeah, but the third one preached as if he actually didn't want us to go there. You see? He actually preached... <coughs> faithfully, but he preached as someone who didn't want his congregation to go to hell, right? In other words, our proclamation of the gospel has to be true, not only in what we communicate, not only intellectually, but true in all of the faculties of our being. We see that Paul is consistent with the truth in both his mind and his emotion. We see him express his deep-hearted emotion for the lost in Romans 9. Says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I can wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. This is an example of a person who preaches the gospel, a person who addresses these matters, but he himself identifies with the reality of what he's preaching. Paul is expressing his hurt for his brothers in the flesh, while at the same time proclaiming the gospel in his letter to the church at Rome. Likewise, when we speak, when we evangelize, we ought to speak not only to the mind, but also to the hearts of men. Yes. There is a way to faithfully proclaim truths of the gospel and doing it without love, without identifying with the message that you're preaching. Um, and it, it does communicate something. It does, it does uh, say something about 
uh, the message that you preach. And so that's a great point. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, so what would be an actual example of going beyond just presenting the gospel and speaking? Yeah. Um, well, you, you, you want to keep, I guess like when you, when you go bowling, you want to keep the, uh, or at least when I go bowling, you keep the rails up. Um, and you want, <laughs> you, you, want, you want to stay within orthodoxy, right? You want to be faithful to the message that you're proclaiming. Um, uh, and th- the thing is, there's so many ways that you can go out of bounds. Um, if you don't actually believe that the power of God is in the message being proclaimed. So uh, faithfulness is probably the most important thing uh, to do, right? God is not... God, God is wise in not giving anyone the power of, the, of, of salvation, but leaving it in the message proclaimed, right? Uh, and so it doesn't require uh, skill in speaking. It doesn't require any kind of, like, training in, uh, in, in speech, right? You don't have to learn how to be a great speaker to do it. But our job as Christians is to trust in the message, uh, of the gospel that has been carried on and passed on to us. So, again, faithfulness in the message, making sure that you're clear about it, uh, dependency on that, and um, doing it in a way that desires, by faith, to see the person saved, that you identify with the message that you're saying, that you're not doing it, uh, but sort of feeling in a way that's contradictory to the message, right? We, we, we ought to preach about hell. We ought to preach about sin, but we have to do it in such a way that, that proves that sin is real, that shows that sin is real, that hell is real. Um, and if hell is real, you, you, chances are you're not going to be up there and just you know, preaching hell with no emotion at all. Um, if you really know what hell is about and sin is about and disobedience before a holy God is about, that you're gonna, your emotion and the way that you communicate it is going to be faithful to the message that you preach. So faithfulness in both the content and the, and the emotion and the heart of so, I don't know if that answers your question, but, okay. Uh, yeah. might speak to what you asked too as well, that um, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to run into somebody and say, like, you know, you tell yourself, I'm going to be faithful to the gospel, so you run into someone, you don't even ask their name, and you just say, hey, uh, you know, in the beginning, God, you know, you start preaching to them, and they're like, excuse me, sir, uh, I don't know you, in the beginning. Uh, so being faithful doesn't necessarily mean that you can't connect with a person, right? Start the conversation. Uh, you know, get to know the person, 
find creative ways to communicate faithfully the gospel that's already been laid out for us. So uh, just like she sort of started that conversation or, um, you know, started with her atheism. Uh, there's ways that you can connect with a person. Uh, but, but the goal is always that you eventually uh, ex express to them the, the content of the gospel, that you eventually get there uh, because until you, if you don't ever get there, you, you never actually get to evangelize, and that's, that's the point. You want to make sure that eventually um, you, you get to the point where you can explicitly explain to them the life, death, and, and, and resurrection of Christ and its implications. Sure. Um, I heard Will's the beginning of this question anyway of, of what does that look like and I think for my own part how I guard against that uh, just that coldness of heart in evangelism is you have to consistently bathe your own heart in the gospel Amen. over and over and over again remembering yes. what Christ has done for you I mean there's multiple benefits to daily thinking through the gospel Amen. one is that you're Refreshing your own soul and reminding yourself of what Christ has done for you. Yes. And then it's fresh in your own heart. So when the opportunity arises, you've been mulling it over anyway. Right. Right. So here it comes out. And if you recognize in the gospel your own depravity, what you deserve from God, and that gives you the compassion as you walk out to, to see other people. But Amen. if the gospel becomes, becomes something that you don't really think about that often, if it becomes just a means by which you got into the Christian life, right. then when you go to proclaim that, you very just stoic and right. wholehearted. Yeah. So that, that's a good way to guard ourselves against becoming. Yeah, very good. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Okay, good stuff. Let's uh, let's look at point number three. <clears throat> point number three is the gospel to the will. Okay, not this will, but the will. Uh, and you'll notice in the sub letters there under the title. I put, not appealing to the desires of the flesh, but rather to command allegiance to Christ. So often as Christians uh, who cherish the doctrines of grace, right? We love the doctrines of grace here. We can often rely heavily and disproportionately on the providence of God in election in a manner that is unbiblical leading us to miss the importance of speaking to the will of man when we share the gospel, right? To put it in simpler terms, we can miss out on a good opportunity when we share the good news, but we don't call the person to respond to the good news, right? An example of this is if we were to share the good news as sort of like an abstract story, where we give them a story, without informing the person that God is requiring of them to respond to this good news. In other words, the sinner is called to take action by recognizing his sin before God and doing something about it, right? And so that's what it means to speak to the will. We're, we're calling that person to take action to the message that we are proclaiming to them. And what they're called to do is to trust in Christ for salvation. Again, this is in no way... Uh, uh, requiring us to cause or push that person to make a decision to become a Christian right there on the spot. That's not what I'm saying, right? We're not basing our evangelism um, with the goal to make sure that they make a decision for Christ right there on the spot. That's, that's not 
That's not what I mean. In fact, we can't do that, right? That's not our goal, nor are we the Holy Spirit to force them to make a decision. What I do mean is that in our proclamation, when we share the good news, we must share what's required of them in light of this gospel, right? Here's some biblical examples of this. Joshua 24, 15, the second part of it, says, choose this day whom you will serve, right? You see that sort of a command in a sense, right? Not from our own authority, but from, the authority, from, from that of God's word, God himself calling the person to respond. Choose this day whom you will serve. Isaiah 51a says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, right? There's sort of a command to come, to do something. Matthew 11:28 says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, right? There's this come. Another verse, Acts 16, 31, it says, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. So you see that, that part in the beginning, believe in the Lord Jesus. There's a, there's a call for that person to place their faith in Christ. And then Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So in these passages, we see how they in the scriptures would address to the will of the person. Action is required to be taken. Doesn't mean that you have to wait around when you're evangelizing for them to make an immediate response, right? The response is not owed to you, right? We don't have to manipulate them to have them show us some sort of, uh, you know, evidence of faith. We 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 proclaim the good news. We share uh, their need for uh, a savior uh, before a holy God. But we also command them to repent and believe, and we trust that God will tug at their heart that they will respond in obedience. Uh, we don't have to wait around for it. Um, that's that's the work of of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in our preaching and evangelism, or even in our conversations with people that we're trying to reach. We ought to pray for opportunities to drive it home, right? To where the person recognizes not only their need for Jesus, but their need to respond in repentance and faith. A quick side note, this does not in any way undermine the reality that no one comes to Christ unless the Father draws them. That's all true. However, we must continue to faithfully proclaim the truth, trusting that God will use it to draw whomever he wills, right? Our job is to, to, to do what we were commanded to do, to faithfully proclaim, to call the person to repentance. Our job is to proclaim the gospel and to do it in the way that he has prescribed in scripture. With that said, in concluding thoughts, we must keep in mind that biblical evangelism speaks to the whole person, right? It does not leave out the mind, but it speaks to the mind but it also speaks to the heart and the will of the individual. A true conversion isn't merely transformation of some of the person, but rather all of the person. So my prayer is that in the same way the gospel has transformed us holistically, that God would use us to proclaim it holistically, producing not only people who profess faith, but people who possess faith and make, make that faith their own. Uh, any questions on anything that I spoke about.
Any thoughts? Yes, George. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> I have to be careful. I don't get long-winded because I'm so grateful for this class. Yeah. Pastor Bob and yourself. Um, I just shared last Sunday, everything in this church is so drenched with the Word of God, you know, so Word-centered, and there's a love here that yeah. It, it reflects beautifully, and I just want to encourage all of us to to consider coming out on, on, on if not Saturday, yeah. one of the evangelism opportunities the church has. But even if we go, if we do as we go, mm-hmm. you know, as as to be in prayer, to be prepared, that to be sensitive to the needs of people out there, to be open to, to give the gospel. Yeah. I just want to encourage, you know, even if you just come out to listen for a while. I mean, I've heard of one person that came out for a whole year, yeah. just listening, watching, you know, because it is, it is, um, it can be fear, you know, something that it, when we had that wall of fear, right. you know, yeah. but like, um, listening to um, Alistair Bank, and I, I wanted to share this, yeah. and I asked Pastor Ron for permission, but yes. one of the things that really um, caught my attention and grabbed my heart was the fact that he so much spoke truth, but also the fact that it's a joy to bring the salvation. We're, we're, we're ambassadors, and right. it's also a heaviness and honor. Yeah. And when we embrace that, it, it's it's a chore. Yeah. And it's heavy. The yeah. hard to see that we're bringing the good news, and people walk away. I walk away saying they didn't come to the Lord, but I planted the seed. Right. Amen. You know, God was honored in this. You know, and there's a joy in that. At the same time, with a heavy heart, but I just want to share quickly. I warned you get long-winded, so. <laughs> Uh, Alistair Begg, I, I love this brother. Yeah. He's so down to earth. Yvette and I got to meet him, and he's so down to earth. And uh, Truth for Life, I don't know if you've heard of it, truthforlife.org. He's on, right now, he's on a 12, um, uh, 12 uh, sermon series called uh, Crossing the Barriers. Um, and it's just wonderful. But, you know, yeah. What is the gospel? Yeah. Pastor Ron shared with us the very first lesson. Yeah. But um, I, I just love the. the, the I can't wait to finish it, but I've listened to some of the sermons two or three times over again. Yeah, that's but, good. Uh, um, crossing the barriers, uh, um, truthforlife.org. Great. Thanks. Thank you for sharing that. I forgot to tell you about that in the yeah. morning. Yeah, but thank you for sharing. Yeah. Ron, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was just yeah. going to say, you know, as, as you evangelize more and more, um, it's, it's really helpful as you're, as you're talking with that person to pray that the Lord would give you wisdom to mm-hmm. assess where they are because. Yeah. You do run into a lot of people who simply have some type of religious experience or whatever, but there's no effect that it's really having on their life now. And they're deceived into thinking that they're right with God. And so we have to be equipped to be able to lovingly come alongside them and show them from the Word of God right. what it looks like to genuinely be converted. Right. What, what, is that, what is that look like? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so just, just an encouragement as you, as, as George was saying, I think all of us. You know, as you evangelize, the more you evangelize, the better you become at it, the more equipped you become. Right. People ask you questions, you're like, you know what, I don't know that. i got to go back to the Word. Right. Let me get through that. And then you become equipped, so the next time you go out, you're, you're prepared. You have scriptures you can think about and so on and so forth. Right. Yeah. There, there's no better way to get more effective at evangelism than evangelize. Right. And there's no substitute for it. The class can't do it. Scripture right. itself. Yeah. We can get the information that we need to until we actually start engaging people, um, we won't become as effective as we could be. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Good. Thank you, Ron. Yeah.
So when you're, when you're headlining, sometimes, you know, if you're going door to door, then you, you know, maybe you know that it takes eight minutes to cover everything you want to cover. Yeah. But um, what about when you're just, you know you have about three minutes, you're in an elevator? Yeah, yeah. That's a good, that's a good question. And you know what? A lot of times that's, that's like all we're given sometimes, you know, when we're trying to evangelize or, or less, less time. Um, you want to, you want to first, I would say, you want to remember that you, you yourself and your opportunity there, it's possible that that one moment may do, may, may be the moment that the person get convert, gets converted. But it's also possible that that one moment is is not the moment of their conversion that God has chosen for them to to, to come in faith. So you you want to you, you you want to take advantage of that situation. You don't want to be in the elevator and try to rush through um, redemptive history with them. But uh, you you want to discern maybe where that person is. I know you only have three minutes or two minutes with that person. Um, but depending on where there is, a lot of times, and this is from my experience, this is not scripture, this is just experience, this might be off, but um, what I've noticed is that sometimes people already have a background or an understanding of some part of it, and so I want to speak to the parts that they're missing. Like, I know people that know the story about Jesus dying on the cross for them, but they may not know how bad they've sinned against the Holy God, so depending on that situation, maybe I want to take advantage and express to them their, their stand before holy God. The, the wrath is upon them. Uh, but um, maybe that might not be, I mean, depending on the situation, maybe that's not where you want to go. Maybe you want to focus more on um, the grace aspect. Maybe you can see that the person already feels that they are not worthy of heaven, and so you can give them the good news. Um, it doesn't mean that you're giving them half-truths, right? A lot of times we think that, oh, I only gave them the good news and I didn't give them the bad news. Well, sometimes in two minutes, you only have uh, what you can give them. You want to give them the missing pieces of the puzzle. Um, the problem is you don't know where they are in, that, uh, in their understanding, so uh, I would probably try to sort of get to know that person as much as I can to see where they are and, and answer some of their misunderstandings or... or or things like that, where I could probably do more help than just confuse them, because you can just confuse them in two minutes, you know, and, and it'll be really bad. So that, that would be my advice. Yeah. said uh, a lot of times what we're doing is just planting the seed um, others water it you know and so yeah I want to emphasize that because when I when the gospel was sharing with me I was really afraid of it. Yeah. but the Lord had planted the seeds 
Good idea, yeah. Says something that just sparks up an entry into a conversation, but you only have like 30 seconds to be like, hey, what you said, this, and then just pull it out of your wallet and say, you're going to give it, give us a read. Yeah. Yeah. Just to, uh, yeah. One quick phrase when you give out a track is always, uh, did you get one of these? Yeah. It's always like, I don't, right. they don't want to get left out. So, oh, I did. <laughs> right. Give it to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Lucy? I have a good suggestion from a friend who's who does that a lot. They're always in passing until they have tracks, but they said um, they put their church's website on it just yes. so they would have a way for, in case they do have questions and are like, man, I really agree with this right. guy. Yeah, where do we go? Elevator. Right. So um, he said even if they didn't, like if you give them their number, they might not call you, but if right. they go to the website, they could at least find it and yeah. go if they wanted to. So then it's, he just stamps it on the back of each of his tracks so they yeah. can find a good That's solid place to go to if they are interested. So they're not. Yeah, left Street left alone in the yeah. Some random person here, like, oh, I think I agree with you. Right. But they yeah. don't have any discernment. Yeah, that's 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 so important. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to leave them hanging. Uh, we want to connect them to to a church. Yeah. Anyone else? Good. All right. Well, thank you guys for sharing your. Uh, thoughts and, and giving your inputs. Let me go ahead and pray. All right. Our Father, we thank you again for your word. Lord, it's truly sufficient for us, Lord, even in informing us how, how we ought to proclaim the good news. And so we ask that you would give us more opportunities with our families, our friends, and our neighbors to share the gospel in a way that is most faithful in content and expression in a call to respond, Lord, our mind, heart, and will. And we're confident in the gospel because we know that your sheep will hear your voice and they will follow. And it's in that confidence that we pray, Lord, and we thank you um, that we were able to discuss these matters um, and help us, Lord, as we uh, go out there and, and make disciples of all nations, Lord, that you've commissioned us to do. Give us the boldness and the confidence, Lord, because your word never changes, Lord, and we, we can bank on that, Lord. We thank you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you, You're welcome.